0: Hey, what's up? I'm Dope's fearless leader and sober entrepreneur, Kelsey Moreira, and it's time to get real. Each episode, you'll hear raw conversations that feed your soul with entrepreneurs, movers, shakers, and honestly, just plain badasses. These awesome humans have navigated life's challenges and are creating a bright future. So let's dig in. You're listening to Dope's Soberpreneur. I am so psyched to be here today with Quentin Venny. We were recently introduced, and I was just blown away by your grace and your all around badassery. I think it was the first Zoom call I'd ever had with anybody from their tea growing greenhouse. And here you are, co founder of Greenhouse Tea Company. Okay, quick side note before we jump in, since recording, Quentin has changed the name of his business. So anywhere in this interview that you're hearing Greenhouse Tea Company, please imagine instead their new name, Equity Company. It's a little play on words with equity, so it's E-Q-U-I-T-E-A. It's fantastic. equity. All right, you got it. Happy listening. Which I am drinking at this very moment and have been obsessed with, But you're also speaker and author of the best selling memoir, Strong in the Broken Places. On top of all that awesomeness, you are also recognized by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for your contribution in raising awareness for mental health. And with that, a big, giant, warm welcome to Soberpreneur Hugh.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here.
0: Now is usually the time where podcasts have these pleasantries of like, oh, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Good. You too. Good. I am skipping that BS, generic responses. So at Dope, we have our hashtag Dope for Hope pledge that focuses on unfiltered conversations like what we're going to have today. And one part of that pledge is to answer straight up when someone asks, how are you? So with that, will you take the pledge and keep it real by giving me one high and one low on how you're doing right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely take the pledge. You said one high and one low. One high meaning a positive and one low meaning A challenge.
0: I love your interpretation of it. Whatever feels right. Yes. Like one good thing, one tough thing that you're facing right now.
1: One great thing is life. I'm in a really good place right now. I've gotten into an incredible self-care routine. Anyone who struggles with mental health or is struggling with mental health, you understand that healing is a journey. It's not a destination. There will be moments of highs and then moments of lows. And right now I'm in a moment of a high. And so- Life itself is beautiful. I just welcomed a new daughter into the world two months ago. I think the only low that's happening with me right now is the fact that in Baltimore, we are experiencing a plague of cicadas and it doesn't matter where we go. We can't seem to escape. And so I think that is the one thing that is driving me absolutely crazy.
0: They're everywhere. I mean, at least it's a temporary thing. That's a low, that's awesome. You've got something that will be eventually gone, we hope, unless cicadas have taken permanent residence in Baltimore, in which case you're on your own. <laughs>
1: In which case, I will sell my house and I will move.
0: (laughs) We'll see you soon. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Really nice place to be in life, to be able to recognize that there are just those periods where like, hey, things are working out and to take note of it, because it's so easy to only stop and think about when things are falling apart and how, oh, everything's you know not working out right now. So it's nice to hold on to those moments that are like, hey, things are falling into place. Like life is good.
1: Absolutely. We are energetic beings. So what we put out, we ultimately receive back. And I I firmly believe that even when we're going through a challenging moment, if we give ourselves permission to take the opportunity and the time to find at least one positive thing that happened, then we can understand that things don't happen to us. They happen for us. And that's a mindset that I'm constantly working to try to perfect every day.
0: Preach. I love it. I say that all the time. This is totally how I how I think. I knew this is why we were vibing from when we first met. And I'm excited to have you drop more of your knowledge here today on the podcast. So let's start with your X-Men origin story, if you will. How did you become an entrepreneur? Kind of like how Greenhouse Tea Company came to be.
1: Well, interestingly enough, Greenhouse Tea Company is actually my third business. It's my first product-based business. The other businesses that I had were service-based. I uh, did a lot of wellness coaching for individuals struggling with mental health, primarily anxiety and depression. And then prior to that, I owned my own personal training business. My entrepreneurial story kind of began as a result of being one of those individuals that was never willing to accept what other people determined my life to be. Growing up, I was expected to be this quintessential black guy, whatever that was. was going to schools with people who didn't look like me, people who didn't understand the full scope of, of my lived experience. Mm-hmm. My father was a heroin addict. I was raised by a single mother who worked two, three jobs sometimes just to make sure that we had the bare necessities. And so there was a, a level of responsibility that was put on my shoulders that I never accepted, right? And so as a result, I was often put into this box. And anytime I fought to try to get out of it, I was then told that I was a problem, told that I had issues, that I had anger problems, and was put right back into this box. And so my entire life, I fought to get out of these prejudged perceptions uh, that individuals have had of me. And so I've always been one to go against convention and was unwilling to just accept what other people would determine my life to be. Especially as a, as a Black kid from West Baltimore, but I was often told more about what I couldn't do and less about the things that I could. And so I had to make the conscious decision to take life into my own hands and determine what my quality of life would be, regardless of my lived experiences, regardless of my traumas.
0: It's almost like reframing, you know, you had to continually reframe your worldview against what everyone else was telling you was possible. And uh, do you think your life ending up into entrepreneurship today and what you've been able to do and sort of this like hustle and grind and just go for it? you think you got a bit of that from your mom, just like hustling and doing what it took.
1: Yeah, 100%. She was the example, the only example of what I had, what possibility looked like My mother was 21 when she got pregnant with me. When she had me, she was in college. She was a junior in college and had to drop out of school. She didn't have the support system that would have allowed her uh, to finish her degree. And so that was a major sacrifice. I never understood that we were poor. I never understood that she was struggling. She was one of those individuals that never allowed anyone to see her down. And so I think I've adopted that. And then being in a city like Baltimore, where the likelihood of us making it out is is very slim to none. I know more people who have gone to prison or have been murdered than graduated from college. You know what I mean? And so that hustle existed just from my community. We didn't have many examples of what it looked like to do it the right way, but the examples that we did have, I was able to take what I needed from that and continue to push forward.
0: So important to amplify stories like yours. And I'm uh, happy to know you today and know that you really have not only made this change for yourself, but are so focused on helping make that happen in your community as well. So just big ups to you.
1: I appreciate you. Thank you.
0: Tell me how how you're making that happen with Greenhouse Tea and kind of the story behind the tea concept itself.
1: So tea was, was something that I was always intrigued and interested in. It's actually a part of my recovery journey. When I was going through my addiction, I was addicted to prescription pills for two years. And without going into any kind of re- rehab facilities, you know, I made the conscious choice myself to fight to live instead of living to die. And so it was the modalities of yoga, meditation, juicing, but it was that evening ritual of tea that really helped to get me through those evening hours. You know, I was diagnosed at 26 with severe generalized anxiety disorder, panic disorder, and now to severe major depressive disorder. And that's how the whole prescription drug thing kind of took place. And so it's always been something that was part of, of, of my existence. Even as a kid, I remember every time I would get sick, my mom would buy a box of Lipton tea and puts a fresh squeezed lemon juice in it and a little bit of honey to help me with a sore throat. It was always a part of my life, but it was only after my son was diagnosed with ADHD. And at one of his neurologist appointments, his neurologist had recommended that he drink two ounces of green tea about 30 minutes before any test, any big test. And he was struggling with school at the time. And we've made a conscious decision to manage his ADHD without medication. We manage it through diet. We manage it through very structured schedule, through yoga, through meditation. And when we went out to go buy this green tea, there was nothing on the market that he liked. Everything was astringent. Everything was bitter. I didn't want to load it with a crap ton of honey, right? You Take a kid who has ADHD, you give him a bunch of honey, and, and now you have a, a freaking disaster on your hands, right? Oh, good luck. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And so I really wanted to make sure that this worked for him and at least gave it a good quality effort. And when we couldn't find anything that he liked, I was determined to figure it out. Right. And we created the Awaken blend, which is a blend of green tea, lavender, lemon verbena and lemongrass.
0: It's so good.
1: It's a household favorite, but it was something that was palatable for him, right? The lemon verbena and the lavender cut through the natural bitterness and astringency of green tea and made it, it, it just made him want to drink it. And after that he he went through his first year in the sixth grade and ended up on the honor roll and So w- once we realized that we could actually utilize these things to help mitigate a lot of the issues and a lot of the diseases that we were experiencing, we made a conscious decision to bring it to to public
0: It's so awesome. I mean, I feel like this is a more and more common moment that parents are facing with a child's ADHD diagnosis in particular and it's more difficult to not just take the doctor's recommendation for the medicine, right? It's that's just the easy path these days. It's like, okay, just take the prescription, the kid will be fine. But this is a kid and they're still developing and they still have this whole life ahead of them. If they become dependent on a medication now, it's incredibly challenging. So I have empathy for both sides. That it, it is hard as a parent, I'm sure, to have to go a, a different route. But like, I think something like what you've done is so cool to see this dad on a mission moment of like, I'm going to find another way. And now you've made it easier for other parents. You can help give advice and tips on what's worked for your child and see if it works for someone else in hopes that we have less kids out there, less adults one day, all dependent on medication to make it through. So super awesome.
1: I appreciate that. I really think it was my personal experience of of the medical system failed me. When I was given my prescriptions, I was told that my disorder was so severe I'd need to be on medication for the rest of my life. I didn't realize until I was going through recovery that I was only supposed to be on prescription medication for six weeks and that it was supposed to be taken in conjunction with CBT or some kind of talk therapy or some kind of therapy. And so I think it was my experience of almost losing my life as a result of my addiction that enabled me to help save my son from having to go through something similar.
0: What was that moment of like, I got to get, I got to get sober. I got to get off this. And you mentioned you did it without rehab, which, you know, there's some people are like, can you even get sober without it? I also got sober without going to rehab and everyone has such an individual journey. So I'd just love to know kind of what was your path like?
1: Yeah, I think for me, it was I attempted suicide twice. And it was after the second suicide attempt, which I actually wrote about in the book, where I was like, Okay, even left to my own devices, I couldn't kill myself correctly. Right. Like I failed at killing myself twice. And it was at that moment I I kinda like snapped out of it and said, God, you win. Why am I here? Being from West Baltimore and making it to where I had made it to, even at that point in my life was a miracle. And I've often walked around with survivor's guilt, but it was in that moment where I literally made the conscious decision to figure out what I was here for. I needed to figure out what that was. I'd already had two kids, and even still, that wasn't enough. I had to do it for myself. And I went back to my doctor, and it was the first time that I acknowledged that I had an addiction, that I had a problem. And his response to me was, are you having anxiety attacks? And I was like, well, no but I did just try to kill myself yesterday. And I am taking 18 milligrams of benzos every day and mixing it with alcohol. I did experience an accidental overdose on a combination of benzos and Vicodin. So anxiety versus addiction, I take anxiety for a thousand, Alex. But it was in that moment that I realized that my doctor wasn't my doctor, he was my dealer. And so I understand the full complexity and the length of what addiction can do to a person and what addiction can do to the people around them, to the people that love them the most, to the people that they are surrounded by. And I didn't want my children to have to go through exactly what I went through being the child of a person who was an active addict. I consider myself to be an accidental addict. I didn't wake up and say, I need to escape my reality. This was something that I was told would help me. And when I realized that I had been duped, that I was lied to, that I had been bamboozled, I was determined to prove him and everybody else wrong about what they thought about me. And I think that was the motivating factor on top of wanting to be a better example for my children than what it was that I had.
0: How hard was this in the beginning? You know, if you could look back and tell yourself at the start something that you know now, what would you tell yourself in like the early days of going off of them?
1: I would have told myself that I was stronger than I gave myself credit for being. I often hear the saying, we don't know how strong we are until strong is all we have to be. And and I didn't understand it then, but I fully understand it now. I often say people don't change because they want to, they change because they have to. And it's only those that change because they want to that have already gone through that difficult, painful process of making a change, of shifting something in their lives. And for me, I feel like my anxiety and my addiction, that's what Pulled that strength out of me. That's what pulled that resilience out of me because, to a degree, I started to accept the reality of what society told me my life would be that I would be a failure. They told me I would be dead or in jail by 21. I'd already beat that. But it was really just recognizing my own strength. And so, if I could tell myself something, my younger self, I would say, balls to the wall, fam. You got this. You're stronger than you think you are, and you're stronger than anyone else thinks you are, too.
0: Yeah. It's so hard to see it in the moments. So I think it's really important to share those messages. I feel the same that first, you know, I'm spend my second week sober. I'm just like back from this business trip on the floor, crying, surrounded by boxes, had it ruined this relationship. We're having to split apartments. And so I've got all my boxes in my new apartment by myself, call my dad. Literally, I thought my life was over. You know, I'm just, everything's falling apart. And it's like, man, with hindsight now I can look back and be like, that was the freaking moment. Like that was it. This is awesome. My life just like started then. You know, it's actually not over. It was just beginning. So it's scary in those beginning times, but you don't realize just how strong you are and how much awesome stuff is about to be unfolded by you letting yourself be there and be present. So it's awesome to, to hear that.
1: hundred percent And I also feel like it's the fear of of not knowing, right? It's that anxiety of of not knowing what your life's going to look like without it. But what I realized, and I'm sure you realize the same thing, you went through less discomfort going through the process of changing than you would have if you just remained the same. So for me, it was like the recovery process was cake compared to what my life looked like prior to or what it would have looked like if I remained in the same state that I was in.
0: It's like death by a thousand cuts, you know, like, do you want to just keep getting dinged every year, every month, every day for the next however many years? Or do you want to go through a little bit of discomfort to have a freaking awesome life? So that's awesome. Nice segue into my next question here. One of dope's goals is taking the stigma out of addiction and mental health issues. And what do you wish that people knew about recovery?
1: I've sat with this. I think the one thing that I wish people knew about it is that it looks different for everybody. My journey to recovery your journey to recovery, someone else's journey to recovery, it's going to look different. And recovery is a journey. The only time we will end that journey is when our lives are done on this earth. And so it is a process. And for a person who has never had to go through this, or never has to go through this, recognize the human being that exists behind the behavior of addiction. Recognize the challenge and the struggle The determination and and the diligence that it takes to remain in recovery, regardless of what that looks like. Try to see the human that exists behind it. And I think whether we're struggling with addiction, whether we're on the journey of recovery, whether we're dealing with mental health, the one component that I think is often lost is the fact that we are dealing with human beings, complex creatures that have feelings that make mistakes, that want love, that want to give love, they want to receive love, they want to feel appreciated, right? We are dealing with human beings. And sometimes our behaviors supersede, in other people's eyes, our humanity. And so I want people to, to, to regardless of what stage you may be in, or what stage someone you love may be in, there is a human being that exists behind that window.
0: I got goosebumps. I love that so much. It's so important. And I think when you mentioned how it's going to look different for everybody, it's like at every single stage too. being in the throes of addiction looks different for everybody and choosing to get sober and your path to that in the early days is different for everybody and the maintenance and the everyday decision to not drink is different for everybody. But the one common thread from the moment you decide to get into recovery is that we all wanted our life to be better you know, in some way, shape or form, we got one thing in common that we're all human. And we all wanted our life to be better in some way. So really, really important. And I love that you touched on those with a loved one in recovery, loved one, friend, colleague, employee, anything like that, just realizing that there's a human behind there that is just like you that makes mistakes, too. We just make different ones sometimes. And we all make different choices. Really, really awesome. What lessons from sobriety have you been able to bring into your work as an entrepreneur?
1: I think for me, it's, it's really just the mentality of not giving up when it gets difficult. There have been moments I even, I, I still go through them, right? Where I could be having a really screwed up day and it's like, damn, I wish I could just take a, an van and be on cloud nine. Now, one of the things that I do in my life when she first realized that I did it, like she thought it was, it was a potential issue, but I still have the last three pill bottles that I had when I decided to get sober. I still have them. I have the inhaler that I was given when the doctor told me I had asthma, not taking into account that I was smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a day. I still have the three prescription bottles with pills in them. And I keep those as a reminder of how strong I am, how far I've come, and how easy it would be to return. And when I look at being an entrepreneur, I'm faced with very much similar challenges. Walking out into a space, into a world that may not accept me, that may tell me that my product sucks and I'm not the person that should be producing it or, or distributing it or creating it or whatever it may be. There aren't a lot of people that I know that look like me that run their own businesses. When we talk about the CPG space, there aren't a lot of, if any, black-owned tea companies that I see in major retailers. And so I'm constantly reminded of my difference. And sometimes that reminder can make me feel inadequate very similar to what my addiction made me feel. Because I was addicted to something, I often was made to feel inadequate, as if I was weak because I allowed something to control me in that way. And so for me, it was really just this level of resilience that no matter what the trial is, no matter how dark my days may be, no matter how challenging things may get, I refuse to give up. I will not lose. It's not like I'm going to get rich or die trying. I'm not going to die trying. I'm going to die rich. I'm not going to lose. Failure is not an option. And so that's the thing for me. Like going back to who I was and taking pills and doing that whole thing, that shit is not an option for me
0: we are cut from the same cloth. I say the same thing. I say operate as if success is inevitable. And every day you wake up and anything that comes your way, it's like, we're going to find a path through and it might not be the same path I thought I was going to take, but I'm going to find a way forward and and it will be successful. It does. Like you said in the beginning about, you know, we're energetic beings. It's like you breed that positivity and you can breed that success. And you just really have to believe that you're going to kick ass and you're going to find a way forward. So one thing I love to do as an entrepreneur is keep it real for people who are considering starting a business and give examples of like, it hasn't always been shiny and rosy for everybody running one. So what's your big, holy shit, the sky is falling moment with Greenhouse Tea Company?
1: I think for me, it was a good problem to have. One of the biggest things was not planning for success. I planned for a launch. I didn't plan for the success. And that put me in a position of having to play catch up. I mean, there have been a a few missed opportunities, lost opportunities, really incredible opportunities that I just wasn't prepared for. Again, because I didn't prepare for success, I prepared for launch.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the good lesson in that though is it's, I think, more advisable for businesses to at least have that, like, what is my launch plan? Let's see if people like it. And then now you get to regroup and go, oh man, like people really like this. I got to figure out more ways to get it out, how to make it faster, how to ship it more efficiently. You know, all those things come. Sometimes people overdevelop it all. And then it's like, oh, people didn't actually like this product. Oh snap. So for anybody listening, it's not a bad path to go to say like, let's just see. And then you hope that you're in, you know, seat right now going, man, this was even better than I expected. Awesome.
1: <laughs> and, and also the other side for me, because we source a lot of our products internationally, making sure that we had good quality distributors and wholesalers that were moving out of a space of integrity. We had connected with one wholesaler and, and distributor and they claimed their products were organic. And as soon as we asked for proof of the certificate, they refused to furnish it. And so we had to go and essentially completely like change an entire blend, the ingredients where it was sourced. All of those things, which cost a lot of time, a lot of money, and made a product like not available for a certain period of time, because we didn't cross the T and dot the I ahead of time.
0: You just got to build that hype. Out of stocks are great. Just have a waiting list that people can sign up for, and they're like, "This was so popular, it sold out." And you're like, secretly in the background, "Yeah, because I didn't make enough, or we ran out of <laughs> whatever." <laughs> but putting, you know, out of stock, notify me when available. That's the pro tip yes. for really building that hype and getting people. 100 so comes back. So if you look down the road, like 30, 50 years from now, what do you hope your legacy is? What will people be saying about Quentin, Fenny all those years from now?
1: 50 years from now, I'll be like 88. so
0: Hopefully retired on a beach somewhere or something. <laughs> What's the rumor mill about you?
1: <laughs> I need an island eating off the land, solar energy, so I don't have to worry about electricity. For me, I want to make my last name mean something. I don't grind for my first name. I grind for my last. I grind for my daughters. I grind for other people who look like me that come from where I come from, that have had to endure the same things that I've had to endure, poverty, trauma, violence, racism, prejudice, oppression, marginalization, molestation, you name it. These were all things that I had to deal with and experience in my life. And so when people talk about me and they mention my name, I want them to remember The fact that I was able to take all of the negative things that have happened to me and turn them into positives, that I never wavered on the integrity of who I am as a person, and I didn't have to become a dick in order to become successful.
0: Stand true. keep yourself. Yeah. It's a hard road to jump into entrepreneurship and not lose yourself and get into a different mindset, but you're just doing a great job sticking by what you know and really fighting for something. So I think your last name means something already and it's only going to get bigger.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much. And humility, right? Like, you know, it doesn't matter what I accomplish or what I attain. I tell my wife this all the time. Like the minute that I believe that I am better than anyone else is the minute that I've lost reality.
0: Yeah, we're just talking about this yesterday in pitching and in, you know, talking to investors or whatnot, even retailers. And how do you walk that line of like being very confident in that you have a great product that people love that's going to do so well at your store or going to be a great investment without sounding cocky. It's difficult to describe like how to walk that line. But the best thing I could say was you just have to feel it. You have to really feel inside that you have that confidence and that you're being humble about it and that you really do just genuinely think you have something great that will better the world in some way and you want to tell other people about it. And that comes through authentically with you as well.
1: Thank you. Yeah, you have to embody it, right? Like never stop learning your craft, never stop trying to get better. We don't know what we don't know. But I often say you can't teach a person anything if they already believe they know everything. So remain a student to the game. And as long as you remain a student, then that level of humility has to exist. And that's what I thrive on. I embody the products that we, I stand by it. I put my name on it. And my name is my name. I will never have anything else. My name is my name. And I I stand behind it.
0: Love it. I'm going to jump into or back into, we were talking about mental health earlier. And I think when you talk about running a business, it's sometimes easy to pass up the conversation of mental health. Everyone just talks about how much we're going and crushing it and grinding. And this conversation about mental health is so important. And for me running the business, you know, I have sort of my like mental health recipe card, if you will, my ingredient list of what I need to keep myself grounded. And though I'm not always getting all of those things like yoga and running and meditation and journaling, calling my parents, you know, getting a good check in therapy, like, I kind of look at it, like, how many can I get to could I get three this week? How many have I kept in my cycle? So what's on your mental health recipe card?
1: I love that question, and I love the the truthfulness and honesty, and you even saying like I try, but it's not always perfect. And if I can get a few of those in, then I'm good to go. I guess for me, it's really you know establishing similar to you, Kelsey. It's really establishing my non negotiables. My non negotiables every day is I wake up at five forty five every morning. I drink the same cup of tea every morning. I, I drink it out of the same cup every morning. I make the tea. I put my milk in it, I sweeten it with my honey. I take a few sips, I go sit in the car for 15 minutes and I enjoy my cup of tea in the car, listening to the morning radio show, whatever it is that I choose to listen to that day, every day, every day. And the reason why that is so important and why I get up so early, like I've never been a morning person. So like, please don't confuse it. Like, oh, he's just a morning person, right? Like, no, I've had to become this because I have a house of six kids. If I'm not up before they are, the the morning for me is chaotic. I have to be dad and husband before I am human. And so I wake up before everybody else in my house and I give myself that moment. Now, after I drink my tea, I go to the gym and I make sure that I do some kind of exercise at least four days a week. And I use my tea making experience as my meditation practice. If I can't get that 10 minutes in, Right? With our teas, you can't rush the process. If you rush the process, you're going to get a subpar result. In life, you're going to get a subpar result. The T experience for me is that permission to slow down. I know how good our teas are. I know how good the product is. I'm not going to compromise that. And so I use that time while it's steeping for three minutes or five minutes or whatever it may be to take that moment to breathe to just breathe, to just show gratitude and appreciation for myself, for my creator, and for where I am in my life. Because the more things we are grateful for, the more things we will be blessed to be grateful for. And so those are my non-negotiables. That happens every day, Monday to Monday. I don't even wake up late on weekends. This is my ritual. Even if I don't go to the gym, I am sitting in my car, listening to the radio, sipping my cup of tea every single day. I have to be human before I am anything else every single day. And I have to give myself permission to be human and not allow my responsibility and my role to supersede my humanity first. And so those are my non-negotiables. Whether I go to the yoga studio, eh, might not happen. I might not get to down dog. I might not get to chair pose today. But I'm I'm always a
0: child pose all day. (laughs) (laughs) Can we start in Shavasana?
1: Right, exactly. So starting in there. Right. But that's my non-negotiable.
0: I love it. You know, I haven't sent my my papa. He's 91. I haven't sent him one of my sober printer episodes, but this might be the first one because this man for his entire life has had a cup of tea every single night. It's lipped in black tea. The man is like religious about that. And scotch whiskey alone and god bless him it works for him but he is like the healthiest man still runs to beat me to the car in the parking lot and stuff he's just amazing and it's like i really think that he has something to do with he's not on one medication he is just so healthy and we're always like this this tea ritual of his is just you know it's it's like you it's every single night he will not go to bed without it so Saying something, and I'm not saying everyone should have Lipton tea because that would keep my ass up all night <laughs> if I had black tea right before bed. But you got some good blends at, at Greenhouse that'll make it make it perfect. So
1: I have a saying that I put on my socials. It's like, can your bag tea do this? And like, when you steep Greenhouse, you can pull out and unfurl an actual green tea leaf. You won't find that in Lipton.
0: Boom, mic drop. And with that. Let's jump in. One last thing to do today. It's time for our Raw Truth Game. The crowd goes wild. Okay, I'm really excited for this. I'm going to run through some rapid fire questions to reveal some raw truth about what makes you, you. And with that, are you ready? Yeah. All right. He's like, I don't know. (laughs) Why did I sign up for this? (laughs) All right. What's your biggest guilty pleasure?
1: My biggest guilty pleasure, watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians
0: that trash tv is good stuff people can't take their eyes off all right how would your friends describe you loyal what's the thing that makes you the happiest my family what's the thing you can't live without my faith what's the thing you could live without
1: (laughs) what's the thing i can live without coffee
0: i thought you were going to say keeping up with the kardashians for a moment there (laughs) you're like no we have to keep that one what song do you sing in the shower
1: It changes daily, but it's usually an old R&B song.
0: I was going to put you on the spot and make you sing some, but I'll spare you. It's still early. (laughs) Okay. Lastly, what goal do you most want to achieve this year?
1: Solidifying greenhouse teas and major retailers in the mid-Atlantic region.
0: Awesome. I lied. There's one more. What's your favorite cookie dough flavor?
1: Cookie dough flavor or cookie flavor?
0: You already know. Give me the cookie dough. <laughs>
1: no, I, I, got, I got to go classic chocolate chip.
0: Yeah, ride or die. Can't be mad about that. Okay, time for the most critical part of the podcast. Now that people have heard what kind of awesome stuff you're up to, where can they get in touch with you? And where in the heck can they buy some greenhouse tea?
1: You can get greenhouse teas on our website, www.greenhouseteas.com you can also find us and follow us on Instagram, Greenhouse Teas. You can find and get in contact with me at quentinvinnie.com That's Q-U-E-N-T-I-N, V as in Victor, E-N-N-I-E.com. I'm also Quentin Vinney on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can always shoot me an email, info at I love to connect.
0: Love it. Extra special thanks to you, Q. Thank you for coming on today and getting real with me, sharing your story, and helping to inspire some folks along the way. So. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for what you're doing. I think the work that you are doing is absolutely incredible. I am inspired by you. It is an honor and a privilege to call you a friend and to be in communication and connection with you. So much love and so much gratitude for you, my friend.
0: You're so sweet. Two soberpreneurs making shit happen. Thank you so much, Quentin, for coming on the show today. It was awesome to dive into how you're using Tea for Wellness as a fellow soberpreneur. I'm so grateful for your work helping to break the stigma for those in recovery and the loved ones supporting us. To the listeners out there, I hope you're feeling inspired to go out and make a change in the world. Until next time, I'm Kelsey, and that was Dope's Soberpreneur. Keep it raw. Keep it real. But wait, there's more. Are you drooling after all this cookie dough talk? Jump over to dope.com. It's D O U G H P dot com to order some of our edible and bakeable cookie dough. You can use code Keep It Real for 10% off at checkout. Thanks and have a dope day.